Hey guys, good morning. It's great to see you. Haley, thank you so much for those words. Uh, and if I can piggyback on that a little bit uh, in regards to uh, our current situation with the virus and the, and the quarantine and all that. Um, as summer comes and as things um, at least look to be calming down in the near future, uh, and maybe reopening a little bit in the near future. There's talk of that, whether it's in our state government or just amongst us. Um, there's talk of reopening. Uh, one of the things that we're going to look to do uh, is try to feel out where everybody is at, uh, so we can love everyone as a church, as we, so we can love each other well in this in this process. And so we understand, just as Haley said with Mother's Day and and with this um, with this situation, everyone's in a different spot. Uh, we all experience these things differently. We have different struggles. Uh, and so we want to be sensitive to that and we want to be aware of that as we start to take baby steps um, back towards hopefully normalcy uh, at some point in the near future. So we're going to be sending out um, some survey questions this week, hopefully, and just to get some feedback from each one of you about where you're at in, in all of this. Because uh, again, we want to serve you well, we want to love you well, and we want to love each other well as the body of Christ. So be on the lookout for that this week um, as you go about your week and go about your lives. All right, we are going to jump right into today. We are continuing our series on life in exile, walking through the book of Daniel. I was looking at our calendar and our reading program this week and realizing that we only have a week and a half left of the Old Testament. And so we've got this week and we've got next week in this uh, series on life in exile, walking through the book of Daniel, and then we're going to move into the New Testament. And so I know for many of you, uh, reading in the Old Testament is um, laborious, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, it's a little bit different. And so a lot of you are really looking forward to Matthew chapter one. And I get that. I understand that. And so that's an exciting Part, and I think part of what we experience as we read through the Old Testament is um, I, I think that we're supposed to experience that tension. We're exposed to have fatigue when we get to the Old Testament because we've been slogging through, um, if we're really honest, the brokenness of humanity. We've been slogging through the brokenness of humanity, but also seeing the, the spotlight of God's faithfulness amidst the brokenness of humanity. And so all the while, as we've been reading through the Old Testament, we have this future hope in the back of our minds, even as we read. And so there's something really special about reading through the, the story of God, the Bible, cover to cover, because we experience that tension. And as we come to Matthew, as we come to the Gospels, uh, we see that hope kind of uh, brought to fruition uh, a little bit in our reading. And so that's a good tension. Um, I don't want you to feel guilty at all about being like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy we're finally done with the Old Testament. I think we're supposed to feel that way just a little bit in our reading um, as, we, as we move into the hope that is Jesus. Because let's be honest, like we believe that the Bible is one story cover to cover that points to Jesus. That's the, the mantra of the Bible Project, and we believe that as well. And so uh, there should be something in us that longs to read about Jesus in our Bibles. And so a week and a half from now, if you're caught up in your reading, which I'm not, I'm still a week behind, um, I want to get caught up by the time we get there so we can do that together. But we're going to be in um, the life in exile this week and next week, and then we're moving into the Gospels, and I am so excited. So with that said, let's jump into Daniel chapter 6. I want to just remind us of uh, what we're referring to here, what we're talking about here in this idea of life in exile. Um, and the basic question we're asking is, what does faithfulness look like in exile? Now, for many of us, we think, what does life in exile have to do with us? We're reading the book of Daniel. We're reading about a guy that lived in Babylon. He was taken from his home in Israel, um, marched across the desert into a foreign city, a foreign country in Babylon, where he was made to live and serve for the majority of his life. Um, what could that possibly have to do with us? We live in America. We live in a free country. Um, but if we think about this from a spiritual perspective, which we're intended to, Right? We're supposed to, to, to read the book of Daniel and read through uh, many of the prophets, uh, and we're supposed to identify with the struggle of the physical nation of Israel. We're supposed to identify with that spiritually. 
Uh, and so if we think of life in exile as something that we experience, experience physically as believers, as citizens of the kingdom of God, that has not yet been fully consummated. Jesus has not yet returned to earth to set up his rule and reign. We are, in a sense, living in exile. And so the principles and many of the truths and the tensions that we see in the book of Daniel, we can feel and we can apply them to our lives today. So the question we're asking is, what does faithfulness look like in life in exile? And so we're going to ask ourselves these questions as we read um, these chapters. What does it look like for us to live faithfully in our present day, in our present situation? And man, uh, right now, we feel that tension, right? Many of us have never really felt that tension quite as um, in palpable ways like we do today. And so these are really important things for us to talk about and things for us to cover. So again, Daniel and his friends uh, have lost everything, their families, their livelihood, their culture, their their faith in a lot of ways, the way they practice their faith day in and day out. They've lost everything, and they've been forced to assimilate into a foreign culture. But they do so knowing that the kingdom of God is coming. And so this is what fuels their faithfulness. The coming kingdom of God is what fuels Daniel and his friends' faithfulness while they're in exile. And so that I want us to just take and put it in the back of our minds because that's something that we have to just remind ourselves of as we walk through this material, as we walk through the scriptures, and as we live our lives, right? The coming and kingdom of God is what fuels our faithfulness. It should be. It should be what fuels our faithfulness. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is the king. Jesus is going to rule forever. And so that should fuel our faithfulness. That should fuel our allegiance to him as our ultimate king. So, Daniel and his friends are assimilated into a foreign country, foreign culture, and so what do they do? They take Babylonian names. They take Babylonian government jobs. Uh, They're trained in Babylonian culture, and they wear Babylonian clothes. But, they refuse to eat the king's food. Um, They refuse to bow down to his idols and his statues. And they refuse to stop praying, which is what we're going to see today. They refuse to start stop praying to their God. And so there's, we see it, right? We see the tension. There, there are parts of the culture that they wade into, and they're willing to be a part of. And there are parts of the culture uh, that they hold themselves apart from, and they refuse to take part in. And so all along in this uh, series, we've talked about this idea of um, culture being a river or a current. And there are two ways that we can interact with it as people that don't fully buy into this. Um, One is uh, 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 called syncretism, where we can just um, basically join the culture, and yet in our own minds or in our own hearts, as we Christians like to say, right? Um, I'm doing, you know, it's not about what you do, it's about what's in your heart. And so this is kind of a, that's an attitude that uh, kind of personifies this idea of syncretism, where we're going to, we're going to, internally hold ourselves apart from the culture but externally as it pertains to the way we live life we're going with the flow right uh, and so then there's another idea called sectarianism where in which we hold ourselves completely apart from the culture and so when we think about this we would think about um, certain extremist um, uh, that's probably not the right word to use but um, more conservative um, faiths that faiths that tend to hold themselves apart from culture, the Amish, for example, would hold themselves apart from culture in many many ways in order to, to preserve their faith. And so, what we see in the Book of Daniel is somewhere in the middle. And so much of the language and so much of the the lens uh, that we've uh, used to look at the Book of Daniel has been through the chapter uh, uh, twenty nine of the Book of Jeremiah where the Jewish people are headed into exile, and and the prophet Jeremiah is uh, called by God to tell them how they're to live in exile. They're to seek the good of the city. They're to enter into the culture for the good of the culture while remaining faithful to their God. And so this is what we see in the book of Daniel. And again, this is what we see all around us as we live our lives. Uh, This is what we're called to do. We're called to be in the city for the city while remaining faithful to our king, to our God to our Savior Jesus. So in a lot of ways, we're not different from Daniel. 
We're not being persecuted for our faith. We're not being thrown to lions. We're not being thrown into fiery furnaces. But we also live in a culture that tempts us in, in ways that are much more subtle. Nobody's demanding that we bow down to an idol, right? At least that's never been demanded of me. But our culture says that our faith is just one of many perfectly fine ways to live your life and then denies that idols exist, right? I mean, that's kind of the culture that we live in while they're being set up all around us. Just watch advertising. This advertising is the epitome of building idols. It really is. So materialism, individualism, um, human rights uh, as it pertains to like our, our civil rights. Um, these are all, uh, civil rights are a good thing, but they can be made to be an idol, right? I mean, these are all things that we're being faced with all around us uh, today. Uh, how are we meant to live? We're Americans. Most of the people that are watching this, I would say the vast majority of the people that are watching this right now, we are Americans. We live in America, right? We identify as Americans. Most of us do anyways. And so uh, that's a good thing. We've, like God has placed us in this country, in this time, for a purpose. And so we have to ask ourselves, uh, being an American is a good thing. I love my country. And I hope you love your country as well. Being involved in politics and involved in shaping our culture, we see Daniel and his friends involved in government. They were actually involved in shaping how the land uh, moved and how it worked. That's a good thing. These are really good conversations for us to have. But in the midst of those things, we have to ask ourselves, what does it look like for me to ultimately remain faithful to my Savior, faithful to my true King, faithful to my God? And so this is the tension that we, that we feel. We have to ask ourselves, how do we remain faithful? How do we discern what the king's food is for us? Right? So Daniel and his friends, if we think back to the first couple of chapters, uh, they refused to eat the king's food because it violated um, their covenant that they had with God. So we have to ask ourselves, what are the things that we are refusing to do? What are the golden statues that we're going to refuse to bow down to? We have to ask ourselves those questions. We have to discern when are we going to speak boldly and when are we going to hold our tongues. We have, um, in, in the first couple chapters, we have Daniel speaking boldly and interpreting the king's dream, right? I mean, he spoke really boldly. He spoke boldly to Nebuchadnezzar and he spoke, spoke boldly to Belshazzar in interpreting the king's dreams. He told him, this is what it means, man. Uh, you're going to crawl around in the grass like a cow. That's a bold thing to say to a king that just ordered that everybody that couldn't interpret his dream have their heads chopped off, right? I mean, he, this guy can order your death at any moment. That's a bold thing to say. And then we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in another story refusing to silently and humbly refuse to do what the king asked. The only reason that we have them voice anything is because that they were ratted out and brought to the king for that refusal. But they humbly decided to stay silent. And so we have godly examples of both things. And so there's a tension that we live in there. What lines are we willing to cross and what lines are we not willing to cross? What does it look like for us to remain faithful? These are the questions that we have to ask. And we should be asking them to ourselves and to those around us daily. Daily. This is the tension that we must live in. If we're not living in this tension, there's a problem. If we think we have it all figured out, there's a problem. If we're not addressing it at all, there's a problem. We have to live in this tension, you guys. This is what the book of Daniel is telling us. So, with all that said, let's jump into Daniel chapter 6. Verse 1. It pleased Darius. If you remember in Daniel chapter 5, the, the Babylonian Empire fell to uh, the Medes and the Persians. And so now we have the, the, the Medio-Persian Empire um, ruling the world. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 100, 120 satraps uh, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one. This is crazy. Second world empire, second time Daniel has risen to the top. We'll get to that. To whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Now, uh, historical context real quick. If we, if we go from chapter 1 in Daniel to where we are now in Daniel chapter 6, 
about 60 years has probably passed. And so from the time when Daniel and his friends refused to eat the king's food when they were probably teenagers, to now, about 60 years has passed. Daniel's an old man, probably around 80 years old. Again, Babylon has fallen to the Medo-Persian Empire, and they now rule the known world. And here's, here's an interesting thing. Every time an empire falls to another empire, it grows and it grows and it grows. It's like this massive monster that just continues to grow. So uh, the, the, the Medes and the Persians defeated the Babylonians, and their empire is bigger than theirs, which was bigger than the Assyrians before them, which was bigger than the Egyptians before them, and so on and so on. So we see this kind of this beast growing, as it were, um, in the world. Their empire now stretches from Russia to Pakistan. It's massive. And Daniel is one of the three top officials over this entire empire. This is crazy. Verse 3, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Now, this is interesting. Daniel has a rep established over the 80 years that he's been a part of these uh, different rulers and these different governments has established a reputation for excellence to the point where nobody can find anything wrong with him. And yet he has refused to play ball. Right? There's, a, there's, a, um, there's an idea that faithfulness to Jesus always means sacrificing success. And what we see in the book of Daniel is that isn't necessarily always true. Faithfulness to Jesus means that we take success or we take failure. But what matters to us is faithfulness to Jesus. And that's what we see in Daniel. We see him uh, moving through the ranks of the Babylonian Empire, moving through the ranks of the Medo-Persian Empire, refusing to compromise. And what it brought him was uh, what it brought him was success, right? To the point where there was jealousy. And I'm sure that there was some racial tension here. This Jewish kid, uh, well, not kid, now he's an old man. This old Jewish guy is taking um, away what we think should be ours. And so we're going to cut him off at the knees. But they couldn't find anything wrong with him. And so I think what Daniel in a lot of ways would say to us is, why would you want to advance if it meant compromise? If Jesus is my king, if what I am ultimately looking for is his kingdom, and I have, you know, Daniel had the law and he knew what he was asked, what success looked like for him as a citizen of God's kingdom, why would we even want the success that compromise would bring? He would ask us, he would invite us to ask that question. So here we are. Daniel has been promoted by king after king after king. Um, and it's human nature, if we're honest, it's human nature uh, to cut corners. It's human nature to give in just a little bit. We look, look around. Right? We see it everywhere. Just, just cut a little bit of corner. It's okay. It's not that big a deal. Right? Uh, if, if we go back to the, the current analogy, how is it, easy is it when you're standing in a swift river, how easy is it to pick up your feet? That's all, that's all it is. If you've ever, if you've ever stood, um, I remember one time when we were uh, on vacation in Sun River and there's a lazy river, right? There's a, a, a narrow swimming pool uh, that goes in a, in a circle that has current in it and people just float around in their inner tubes. And every now and then you'll get some dude that wants to go upstream and he's fighting the current and he's fighting everybody else that's in the current with their inner tubes and it just creates a traffic jam. Think about it like that. How easy is it to just go with the flow? All you got to do is pick up your feet. And so here we see Daniel standing in the midst of this massive current, right? This huge empire, and he's standing firmly in his convictions. This is an amazing thing. It gets, um, it gets moralized and it gets uh, boiled down to Sunday school stories, but this is a really, really, really impressive and special thing that we're seeing here. 
We're seeing faithfulness to the kingdom of God amidst unbelievable pressure, unbelievable uh, cultural flow, and he's standing firm. Now, faithfulness to little, faithfulness in much, right? That's a, a, a that's a principle that most of us heard, and it's come from, it comes from Luke chapter 16. And at the end of this parable, at the end of this story about this, um, this, uh, this, um, this, this guy that's faithful and little and faithful much, even though he's a little bit deceitful, right? Uh, at the end of this parable, in verse 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's exactly the principle that we're talking about here. We have to choose what we're going to be faithful to. And if we are called as uh, children of Christ, as children of God, and, and given citizenship in his kingdom, in a lot of ways we have to decide, are we going to serve God or are we going to serve money? Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve Babylon? Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve our American culture? Sometimes we have to make those choices. And again, we have to invite ourselves, and I invite you into asking us ourselves those questions every single day. So now here's Daniel. Again, he's climbing the ladder, right? But he's not seeking to climb the ladder. He's not seeking to climb the ladder. Sometimes we can go, oh yeah, we're going to be faithful, we're going to be faithful, and then we're like, sweet, we're going to be faithful so that we can climb the ladder. No, Daniel says we're going to be faithful because we want to be faithful to God. And wherever we end up on the ladder, so be it. Right, do you think Daniel's stoked on being number one in this evil empire? Do you think Daniel's stoked on having three chariots in the garage instead of just one? Like, do you think that that's his goal in life? As we will read in this story, and as we see throughout the book of Daniel, he longs to go home. He longs to be set free. He's not here for this. It's not what he wants. And yet here he is being faithful in spite of that. Back to Daniel chapter 6, verse 5. Then these men, right, these guys that are trying to to trick Daniel or trying to find something wrong with him, this takes us back uh, to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, doesn't it? They're faithfully standing in the corner. uh, They're civil disobedience, refusing to bow, and then they get ratted out to the king. Hey, you know those Jewish kids? They're not standing, they're, they're not bowing to... The idol. So here's what we have Daniel doing, remaining faithful, and now we have some guys trying to tear him down. So, verse 5, when these men said, we shall not find any ground or complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O Darius, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king. Now, is that true? Okay, so they're lying. <laughs> they're lying to him. They didn't go throughout the entire empire and get everybody's. No, the, just these these guys uh, seeking to tear Daniel down uh, came up with a scheme, lied to the king in order to get what they wanted. They are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now you go, ah, we've heard this story before, right? Yeah, you've heard this one before. But I don't think that most of us have heard it in the way it's meant to be understood. So let's keep going. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot change, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So, just like chapter 3, we have backstabbing, tattling, jealousy. This is what's happening here. So they entrap Daniel. This is what they're doing. Verse 10, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, if you think that's weird that Daniel is praying three times a day uh, with an open window towards his holy city, if that reminds you of, of another faith system, let me bring you back and show you something. Why is Daniel doing this? This is really interesting. I don't think that we often 
um, understand what it is exactly that Daniel is doing. But if we go back to 1 Kings in chapter 8, uh, Solomon's prayer of dedication to the temple. Now, listen to this, because this is really interesting. Daniel, I think, knows this. This is uh, uh, Solomon's prayer of dedication. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned, God's people, right? So when, they're, when God's people are experiencing the judgment of God because of their sin, exiles kind of God's judgment against his people because they have sinned. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray towards this place, right, the temple, God's holy presence, and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin, when, they, when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, uh, forgiveness, right, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. So what we see here is Daniel's routine. He's praying the prayer of dedication. He's praying towards Jerusalem, confessing the sin, not only of himself, but confessing the sin of his people. You think uh, we know what Daniel wants at this point? Daniel wants to go home. He wants to see the restoration of his holy city, Jerusalem, the people of God. This is all he wants. And he wants it so much. He wants to see the kingdom of God come so badly that he's willing to disobey the law of the land in order to do it. He stands firm where he needs to stand firm. Back to Daniel chapter 6. Verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before God. I don't know how they did this. They snuck into his house. If they had cameras planted in his house, probably not. Uh, or if they had um, somebody posted on the, uh, uh, the opposite house so they could see Daniel through his open window, right? Praying. They witnessed him praying. They knew that he would do it. They witnessed him do it. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Like this is probably one day later because Daniel's not going to pray uh, only, at, he does it every single day, right? So day one of the injunction, what does Daniel do? He does what he's convicted to do. He does what he's been called to do. He prays. And these guys answered the king as if he just forgot the law that he signed 24 hours before. The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. In other words, yes, I know what I signed. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Is that true? Now, granted, the king knows well who Daniel is, knows well where he comes from. These guys are trying to make him look bad, right? He pays no attention to you. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. He's still praying to his God when he was commanded to only pray to you for 30 days. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. So, one of the things that's really important as we read in the narrative throughout the Old Testament is we see comparisons and contrasts, right? So what we see, the, the contrast that we see here, uh, do you remember back in Daniel chapter 3 when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ratted out by the guys that didn't like them to Nebuchadnezzar, right? Hey, these guys are ignored. It's the same phrasing. They pay no attention to you or to your injunction. It's the exact same phrasing that's used in chapter 3. And what we see here is a contrast between Nebuchadnezzar's response and King Darius's response. Nebuchadnezzar's response was what? It says his, 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 his anger was kindled, right? It's, he got exceedingly angry. And so what do we see happens here? He was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He didn't want this to happen. He was tricked into it. And he labored until the sun went down in order to rescue him. He's looking through the law, consulting his lawyers, trying to find a loophole in this law so he can deliver his most valued servant. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to him, uh, Know, O king, that it is a law. They're reminding him now of the law. It is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can uh, be changed. Didn't he just say this to them? Like, this morning at breakfast, 
It cannot be changed. They're reminding him, you're bound by this thing. And he realizes, number one, that he's been played, he's been tricked, and now he's trapped in his own law. And I think, right, we, uh, if we think back to um, what, we've been, what we read through in some of the, the literature and some of the writings about the history uh, in Chronicles and Kings, about the history of uh, Israel, sometimes when kings didn't do what the people wanted, what happened? They rose up and killed the kings. And so I have to think that there's a little bit of fear in Darius that if he breaks his own people's laws, that he's not going to last as king because they didn't tend to like kings that didn't do what they wanted. So I have to think that there's a little bit of fear here in Darius. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. This isn't a mocking statement by Darius. He's actually hoping that Daniel's God will deliver him. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. He didn't get drunk. He didn't you know, have any ladies. No diversions were brought to him. He was fasting and he could not sleep. Sleep fed, fled from him. So here's what we see. Daniel's faith is not a secret. Right? Daniel's faith is not a secret. He's willing to open his windows and pray. He's willing to continue walking in faithfulness to his God now when it breaks an injunction, even when he did when it didn't break an injunction. They know his prayer habits and they're going to use it against him. All right, verse 19. At break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, when we uh, read in our kids' Bibles, right, growing up, we hear the, you know, me growing up, some of you growing up also had the flannel graphs, right? We got the stories where there was the, you know, the felt and the the characters were put and then taken down. And and so the picture that we got in our kids' Bibles and in the flannel graphs was this kind of like, cuddly like you know you're cuddling at some of you are at home right now cuddling with your dog right and so we had this picture that daniel's like cuddling with the lions and maybe he was but what we have to understand here is that this is a pit right or a cage where they have put lions for the purpose of feeding people that break laws to these lions think about the roman Colosseum, right when we picture the lion's den we're picturing it's not the zoo uh, we're picturing a pit where people are thrown and eaten. Probably doesn't get, right? There's not a def- another chamber where they take the lions and the vets work over them while they clean out the lion's den. There's bones, there's blood, there's guts. There's This is a vile, dangerous place where there are 500-pound cats with razor-sharp razor te- razor teeth and they are like kept there for the purpose of killing and eating people. So here's what I want us to see. Daniel is brought to the lion's den. And we have this picture that he is serenely trusting in God and that he serenely walks down into the lion's uh, den and pets them and cuddles with them. But what we're seeing here is just like what we saw in in Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound hand and foot, carried and thrown bodily into a raging furnace. Do you think that that was easy for them? Do you think that it was easy and a peaceful moment for Daniel to walk, probably bound, and be chucked into a cage full of man-eating lions? Here's the point. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were spared, but they went through the fire. Right? Daniel was spared. But he spent the night with lions. 
See, we, th- we think that, like, that these men didn't go through the fire because they didn't get eaten, or they didn't, uh, they, they didn't get, because they didn't get burned. Uh, they didn't suffer at all or didn't experience any kind of anxiety, deep sense of anxiety or fear uh, because they, were, they didn't get eaten. Are any of you experiencing anxiety right now? We all are. We are all experiencing a deep sense of anxiety. Uh, so much about our everyday way of life has been temporarily stripped from us in a, in a certain sense. And whether, what, no matter which side of the argument you're on, whether you think that this is necessary, you think it's unnecessary, government overreach, um, good thing for health, and everywhere in between, we are all together and that we are experiencing anxiety. We are experiencing stress, whether it be over health reasons, economic reasons, personal reasons, because if we're going to be honest, we were not designed to live in isolation. And we are in many ways living isolated lives right now and it brings with it anxiety and so the question again we are not being uh, about to be eaten by lions we are not being thrown into a furnace but in many ways we are experiencing at least in a small way the same kind of anxiety and so we have to ask ourselves what does it look like for me to remain faithful what does it look like to me remain faithful and despite my anxiety to walk faithfully to my king every single day for the sake of God and for the sake of others. Verse 24, the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. So the king was tricked, the king was played, uh, and now he's had it, right? They, their children, and their wives. Now, this is probably not how we would want the king to respond. But this is how he responds. He throws these guys, their kids, and their wives into the lions. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Uh, real quick, before we move on, what's the, the moral of the story here for, for, uh, <laughs> for, I mean, part of the moral of the story here is don't trick your king, Right? Because they hold the power of the sword. Scripture tells us that. Um, anyhow, verse 25. King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages, to the, like all the nations of this empire, everyone, he writes this. I make a decree that in my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall never, it shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, we've seen this before. And do you think that the people of the empire have seen this before? Right? All the different times um, that that the followers of the, the Hebrew God were saved from certain death because of their faithfulness. And King Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed this basically the same thing. And so the people of the empire are like, yeah, 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 we've heard this before, guy. Yeah, we know, we know, their God's the greatest. Now now command us to, to, to bow down to another statue because that's the pattern, right? But here's what's interesting. Here's what's really interesting. Again, this compare and contrast. Um, it says, before we get there, right? If you read through the history books, we find no record of a guy named Darius. We find no record of a guy named Darius. And so at the very end of this, uh, of in verse 28, it says, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Um, and in some, of our, uh, in some of our translations, it actually says, Darius, that is Cyrus the Persian. And so there's a translation difference here in those things. But what we know is that Darius and Cyrus are probably the same guy. If you read through the history books, what Persian king conquered the Babylonian empire? Cyrus. And so we see that Darius and Cyrus are probably the same person. That's important because if we look in the book of 2 Chronicles, now, again, compare and contrast um, Nebuchadnezzar uh, paying lip service to God and going right back to his idolatry and his power mongering and his pride and everything else. There's a contrast here from 
Darius slash Cyrus. In Second Chronicles, verse 22, it says, Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, probably right after this story that we just read in Daniel chapter 6, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, right, the prophecy made by Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up in the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put into writing, just like the one that we just saw him make in Daniel chapter 6, verse 23. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Wait, what? His response isn't to go right back to building statues for himself. His response is to, to, to decree that the temple in Jerusalem be rebuilt. Right? He has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So the king actually sends some of the exiles back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Most likely, in large part, because of this experience that he just had with Daniel and his faithfulness to his God. Think about this. Daniel's covenant faithfulness in just simply refusing to not pray, right? Refusing to not pray three times a day for the restoration of the temple, the restoration of his city. The result is that he goes through the fire if you will, goes through the lion's den and the result of him, his faithfulness and being willing to face um, death, the result is not only uh, the king's recognition of God for who he really is, but a decree that goes out that the temple might be rebuilt. This is an unbelievable, this isn't just about Daniel succeeding in the ladder of uh, the Persian empire. This is about his covenant faithfulness and God honoring his covenant faithfulness. Go back to Daniel chapter 5. Right, this is Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Read that again. The Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And so we see that God sets... Uh, Darius slash Cyrus over the kingdoms of the earth. And his relationship with, with Daniel and Daniel's faithfulness results in this pagan king receiving a word from God to rebuild his temple in Jerusalem. Proud kings are humbled and God acknowledges the humble. This is part of the vision that we see in the book of Isaiah. Right First, before we go there, Habakkuk chapter, chapter 2. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Now, with Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14 in your mind, let me read it again. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters, waters cover the sea. So, we have uh, Cyrus and the, the, per, the Medo-Persian Empire conquering the Babylonian Empire. We have Daniel in his faithfulness being promoted over and over and over until he gets to the top. We have him be betrayed because of his covenant faithfulness. We have a relationship with him and the king over this massive empire um, being uh, established and growing closer. And now, now we have the king over this massive empire proclaiming through the entire empire the character and personhood of God. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. This is what it, this is the result, the end result for us of covenant faithfulness to our king. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to establish his kingdom, and we are going to see this prophecy ultimately fulfilled. But before we get there, let's read from Isaiah chapter 65. Right? This is for us in our exile looking forward. Just as Daniel prayed faithfully because he believed God and what he prophesied in the book of Jeremiah, right? We believe God and what he has promised us. And much of what he has promised us, we read here in Daniel, or Isaiah 65. For behold, verse 17, For behold, I create a new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Coronavirus, economic downturn, gone, not even remembered. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. 
I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall it be heard, shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die shall die a hundred, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be for the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people. For my chosen chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. That's describing your life, by the way. You labor in vain and you bear children for calamity. Right? You labor in vain. Why? Because you're going to die and it's going to go to somebody else. And let me just fill you in on a little secret. Your children are not angels. They're not the angels you claim them to be on your Instagram. Uh, we, we labor in vain and we bear children for calamity. Amen? Yeah, I think, especially right now because you're around your kids a lot. Like, I think we can all raise hands and say amen to that. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. You guys, this is the kingdom that we long for. In the same way that Daniel longed for the restoration of Jerusalem, this is the kingdom that we long for. And if we believe this, then I beg of you, to, to I invite you into the tension of what it looks like for us to remain faithful in this hope. This hope. This is our hope. This is our ultimate hope. And in that tension, the question simply is, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Daniel answered that question, right? And so we're asked uh, to answer that question for ourselves as well. And we're asked to answer that question corporately, right? We're not just asked to answer that question as individuals. We're asked to answer that question and live out covenant faithfulness as a people. That's why we gather, right? And unfortunately, we're limited in our gathering right now. But like we said before, we're exploring ways to start moving back into gathering as it's appropriate. And we long for that. We long for it. But as we long for it, as we live in this tension, as we experience the anxiety, we ask ourselves daily the question, what does it look like for us to remain faithful? And is Jesus enough? We're going to worship right now. And as we worship, we're going to go to the table. As you go to the table, I want us to ask this question. I'm going to read our final passage today out of Colossians chapter 1. He, verse 15, He, He is Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. That's us. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That means that he was the first to rise to eternal life. And we have all done so after him. That in everything he might be preeminent. He is the most important. He is held up as first, most important, the ultimate, the king. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile all things to himself whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's our hope, right? He's going to reconcile all things to himself. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. How are you found as holy and blameless and above reproach? Because of the blood of Jesus on the cross. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. Does that mean, okay, let's, let's tackle this for a second, right? 
Does that mean you continue steadfast in the faith, stable and steadfast, right? You continue in it. Does that mean that you better not sin, right? No, it means that our hope remains in Jesus. And we don't waver from that hope and we, we put away idols. And so our hope might remain, we remain steadfast in our hope that he is the king. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel. What? What's the gospel? That Jesus is our king. That Jesus as our king came, suffered, died, arose again, made a way for us to be a part of his kingdom. He bought us from another kingdom into his kingdom. That ultimately is our gospel. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is our hope. And the question is, are we going to remain in that hope? Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough of a motivation? Is Jesus enough of a treasure for us to remain faithful? Amen? Let's worship and let's Let's celebrate his sacrifice, his life, death, and resurrection through communion as we worship. Let me pray for you guys. Father, we love you. And Jesus, we thank you for the example that you've given us in the book of Daniel. The tension that we are invited into through these stories and through these truths and these principles. God, we ask that we would fill us, that you would fill us with faith. God, give us faith like Daniel had to stand firm in the current, not wavering, not removing ourselves from that current, Father, and not picking up our feet, but standing firm. Give us eyes of wisdom to see the areas where we stand firm, Father, and the areas where we don't need to stand firm. Give us eyes to see the statues, the food, Give us wisdom to know when to speak and to remain silent. Give us your eyes, Jesus. Give us your faith and your wisdom. Help us to follow you and stand firm in faith and continue uh, following you steadfastly this week. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Love you guys.